With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thanks for checking out this podcast. Remember, it's presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. If you're looking for tickets for an upcoming game or event at TCF Bank Stadium, Target Center, or XL Center, visit TicketKingOnline.com or the link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. Ticket King has all your tickets for Minnesota baseball, plus all the concerts, all the theaters, and at all venues. And Ticket King can take care of you for out-of-town concerts, sporting events, and more. Call 612-341-4141 or visit TicketKingOnline.com. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Go get that first down and get a touchdown. Rock on. Welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast, 1500 ESPN and 1500ESPN.com. I am Ben Gessling, the Vikings beat writer for ESPN.com. Joined today, as always, by Judd Zolgad, who talks on the radio for four hours uh, during the day and is uh, giving us another hour of his time this afternoon. We will be breaking things down as the Vikings head into the actual meat of their preseason schedule here over the next week. We'll get a chance to see what some of the things that they are up to actually translates to on the field, and and uh, we'll be here to break it all down for you for the next forty minutes or so. Judd, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic, sir. And you? I am good. I uh, I was not in Cincinnati this week. ESPN did not deign to send me to that, so I was able to uh, monitor things from home for a couple of days and, and recharge from the uh, the circus that is Mankato. What's your read on uh, joint practices? The Vikings used to do them with the Chiefs yep. when the Chiefs were in Wisconsin for a while and a close drive from Mankato. Then they had some issues with, obviously, fights and, and decided, forget about it. The Vikings brass obviously said this was very valuable to go to Cincinnati for two days. Do you think that there is an extra value for actually practicing against a team? Because I think what we're, what we're hearing now from some coaches and players is the preseason games go by so quick, and, and certainly the scrubs play more. But for starters and guys who are actually going to play, they're saying that uh, the joint practices against a different opponent actually might be more of more value, for instance, than a preseason game. Yeah, what do I you think, think? I think – I, I mean, I see that logic, I guess. I mean, they, they've talked about that, certainly for their starters, for a guy like Adrian Peterson, who isn't going to play much in the preseason, if at all. Mm-hmm. These things give him a chance to sort of see other competition and, and to test yourself against other competition. 
without the risk of being tackled and probably without the risk of an injury. So from that perspective, I get it. I I think the idea that you're going to go in there and be able to completely replicate everything you do in a game is probably a little bit Pollyannish. Yes. I mean, I, I think the idea that you can you can take game situations, the intensity of games, down distance, everything else you encounter on a, on a regular basis on a Sunday – and sort of replicate it in a joint practice is probably a little far-fetched. But maybe this is a, a solution. Maybe this is a step towards, hey, if we do more of these things, we can eventually get rid of a couple preseason games. I still don't think the NFL is ever going to consent to that without a longer regular season or more playoff games because they are not going to give up Gates. opportunities to make revenue. Sure, There's no way. But... From a competitive perspective, this is one thing that you hear a little bit more of people saying, okay, if we take this more seriously, and by all accounts things went well in Cincinnati, everybody seemed to behave themselves for the most part. No big fights. Yeah. No big fights. Um, it, maybe this is a solution. I, I don't know. I, I think it's uh, it's something that we may see the Vikings do again with the Bengals. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see that happen maybe here next year. I do love the fact, though, that um, of the of the – images we saw from the practices yeah. that the Bengals really do practice their fields are below a freeway bridge yes they are so you're seeing you're seeing the practice highlights or a player or coach talk to and you look up and there's a bridge above them with cars flying around i love the the Bengals must be the cheapest team left right yeah, I think so. they don't have a dome to practice in and their practice facility is below a bridge I remember when I was covering baseball, I used to go to Cincinnati when I was covering the Washington Nationals. There would be a four-game series there, you know, usually in August. And it was really hot. I mean, during the beginning of football season. So you'd go there for four days, and I would usually stay over in Covington, Kentucky, which is just right over the bridge. So there would be days where, whether I was just feeling ambitious or whatever, I would walk across that bridge or I'd go for a run in the morning or whatever it happened to be. Yeah. And – you're you're walking by or you're running by or whatever it is you're doing and you look and you see the practice playing out. It's like <laughs> all the paranoia that NFL teams yes. have in this day and age. You're right. And the Vikings certainly have it where they have the fence up and if they see anybody lurking up by that fence, uh-huh. they're going to send somebody up there to, to tell them in no uncertain terms to get out of there. There, you have a public bridge, a public street where you probably can just linger and watch everything the team is doing. There's nothing preventing you from sitting up there with binoculars this is a great point so what you're telling me is the pittsburgh steelers send a spy who happens to get a flat tire on the bridge what would stop so you from doing so it? you gotta pull over to get the flat replaced exactly. but let's say let's say you're as incompetent with the car as i am so your next move is to call AAA. right well then you're standing there on the bridge and you got to stand towards the side of the bridge yep. because you don't don't want to be near traffic. And now the next thing you know, you got your binoculars out, yep. and you're watching the Bengals practice, and you just have to be taking notes. This is a brilliant. I'm sure it's been done before, but you're brilliant. That's exactly I've what's happening. I think so. And I and I remember there's a pedestrian walkway on the side of the bridge that's obviously closer to the practice field. So I mean, you have the road, and then the you AFC have the North is park. all lined up on the walkway. I don't know. I mean, I think. People have said that the Bengals at times will, even if they see somebody lingering up there, they may send somebody up there to do it. But yep. by the time you catch somebody and by the time you catch on to it, they can sit there and, and videotape or whatever mm-hmm. a fair amount of your practice. Maybe, just maybe, this serves to suggest that for all of the secrecy and paranoia in the NFL in 2016, that 
it still does come down to winning games and executing on Sundays, not treating everything you do like it's a state secret. Just maybe. Maybe I'm crazy, but no, I think something you're right. to think about. I think you're right, and I think – so imagine if uh, if the coaches and, and all the par- paranoid people in this league, imagine if they use their brain power and time instead of being paranoid to actually improve their own team <laughs> and how much that might help them. Because you think about the – the mental power used thinking about the Packers are stealing everything yeah. we're doing right now. Yeah. So if you were to actually channel that to your own team, I think you could improve your team maybe. It's like that movie Limitless. Did you ever see that movie with Bradley Cooper? I think it's a TV show now. No, I didn't, but I know the one chocolate. Where he takes the pill yes. and you basically can use more of your brain. And, and yeah. really what it comes down to, it's not like he suddenly becomes a genius. It's just that all of the things that he rem- – <clears throat> excuse me – that we all forget from school that – you know, should be able to stick in your brain. He remembers all this stuff, and he can recall it when he needs to. Yep. It's sort of like that, except instead of forgetting things, it's that you're taking 10% of your brain, not worrying about stuff that doesn't matter, and actually focusing on the task at hand. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's something to that, and maybe there's something to the fact that the the two teams that played in the Super Bowl last year, by all accounts, don't seem to be that worried about keeping injuries a secret. I remember Ron Rivera, the day before the Super Bowl last year, they had people spying on their practice and he said, I don't really care. It comes down to what you do on Sundays, and, and it turned out to be the case. They didn't execute very well, but maybe it would suggest that paranoia isn't the way you get ahead in the NFL. I don't. I think the head coach that you cover on a full-time basis, um, I think he has seemed to be to have grown more paranoid about things. I don't think he cares. I think he's. I think he's being be instructed. I think he's being instructed by his GM. I completely. Agree Zimmer with that. now. It's funny when when you see Mike asked about guys being hurt now, he almost starts to just laugh. Yeah. But not not laugh at the reporter like like your question's stupid, but more like, this is so stupid. But I just can't tell you because for a year there or so, I was semi forthcoming. Yeah. And I got in trouble every time I was semi forthcoming. I distinctly so. remember a moment during the twenty fourteen season where the the other side of the coin came up. He was he was pretty good about talking about injuries the first half of that season. I remember yeah. something happened with Sharif Floyd, as it tends to most years, and he got asked about it that week and then all of a sudden it was I don't really see the benefit in talking about injuries. It doesn't do me any good to share this information, so I'm not going to do it. And that sort of began this progression towards not telling us what's going on with injuries because whatever happened, happened. Yeah, I would agree with your hunch that he probably has been told not to do it. I mean, watching the video this week, Matt Venzel from the Star Tribune asked him, uh, what are you doing with your offensive line on Friday night? He just kind of smirks halfway through the question, starts shaking his head and says, I respect the fact you have to ask, but <laughs> well, I'm not going to tell you. And then he got a follow-up question, and it was the same thing. And he, he pats the reporter on the shoulder and says, I respect the fact you got to ask, but I'm not telling you Brandon Fosco and we're talking, playing. And we're talking preseason game yes. number one who might play. Yes. The most inconsequential thing of all time. Who's going to play the eight snaps that your starters are in there for? I'm not going to tell you. Speaking of something uh, that actually might not be inconsequential, Adrian Peterson didn't play in the first preseason game because he started what he started training camp with a hamstring issue. Yes, uh, that he came to camp with. So he started practice off to the side, doing drills by himself. Slowly but surely, incorporated his way back into practice. Was not going to play in uh, the first preseason game. Let me ask you this though: 
Uh, given the knowledge that you have about what happened in week one of last year mm-hmm. af- after after Peterson had not played in the preseason, and by the way, there was a long period of time there where I was on board. Peterson playing in the preseason made no sense. But given the knowledge that you have from firsthand ob- observ- observance, excuse me, Ben Gessling, and also uh, what you know, what the Vikings have said, what do you think the odds are that Peterson gets into a preseason game this uh, summer? I certainly think they are higher. I think if we see that, it will happen probably in that third preseason game at U.S. Bank Stadium on national TV. I mean, it, it works for the gate, but that's not the reason you do it. I mean, sure. the reason you do it is that's the game that you play your starters. And I think if he's going to be in there at all, it would be then. And and Mike Zimmer said it at the end of last season. When I, I remember asking him in his postseason press conference about Adrian fitting into the rest of the offense because we had heard from Adrian, I think, the day before Mike Zimmer did his presser Mm -hmm. about, I need to work on being a bigger part of the offense. I need to work on being more compatible. I need to be a better receiver. I need to be a better blocker. I need to do all the things that Judd Zolgad wants me to do. (laughs) That I don't want to do or don't care about. Right. He didn't say that part. He might not know my name, but that's okay. I like where you're going with this. But I, I remember asking Zimmer about this, and he said, you know, in the end, I probably needed to do a better job of overseeing his assimilation back into the offense after his suspension and making sure that we were doing enough work with him, whether it was in preseason games or in training camp. I think he even said we probably should have played him a little bit in the preseason just to get him back in the flow of things because once they got him out there in San Francisco, it was like, okay, this doesn't really work, and then they had to do a pretty quick about-face with the offense to get back to things that worked for him. So. Mm-hmm. I he, I don't know that he's going to push the issue. I don't know that he's going to go be the one that says, hey, I need preseason work. But I certainly could see a scenario where they, they go week three in the preseason against the Chargers and say, yeah, Adrian, we got to get you in there a little bit. We're not going to give you the ball a ton, but we want you to be a little bit of a field, pass blocking, what you need to do in the shotgun. Maybe you dig get a couple of runs off of there just to work on shotgun reads. Yep. Maybe we throw you the ball a couple times out of there. I mean, just to have a little bit of live action in the things that they want him to work on. I, I I could see a reason for doing that. And we're talking a series or two here. Yes. We're not talking a half. Yeah, don't play we're not the talking whole starters three the, first games. Time, the whole game or the whole first half or whatever it happens to be. I get the fact that there is a risk involved if he plays. And previously for a long time when he was your marquee player and that was it, I said it's not worth that risk, Ben. But here's my point now, too. I want him in for two series in Game Three, partially for perception. Sure, which is which is twofold. One is you can't tell Bridgewater, Teddy, this is your offense. You're the guy. Yep, and you are incredibly important, and we need you to work with Adrian, and we need you to do this and that, and and you are you are slowly but surely taking over this offense, and then tell him, but here's the problem, Teddy. Adrian is so good, we can't play him. Yeah, and the other thing is. I think with the way Adrian is wired, I think you got to do a little bit of a sell job on you're you're very important here, but this is not just you alone. You know, I think what happened last year, Ben, was during the offseason and all the work that they did to make him happy and bring him back. I mean, despite the fact that that he was at fault for what had gone wrong, they were the ones that bent over backwards by the end to say, we love you. We want you back. And, Ben, my sense of that was... He took that to mean, okay, I am the guy. And so when he didn't get enough snaps in a game, he got mad about it. And I think what you need to have now is a sense of, Adrian, you're still incredibly important here, 
but you are part of the offense. You are not the offense. And I think if you send the message of, but you don't have to play when you don't want, yeah. and if you come to my office, you're going to get a lot of snaps, I think you got to get out of that somehow. So to me, this is also a little bit about perception of the offense. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think the fact that Adrian Peterson and Mike Zimmer clicked as quickly as they did, I don't know that that necessarily happened on the same kind of personal level with Norv Turner. So, I mean, that probably did something for Peterson in terms of knowing that he had an ally, knowing that he had a confidant, so to speak, sure. in the coaching staff, at, at the very top of the coaching staff, to say, hey, when I feel like something isn't quite the way I want it, I can go in and say something. And I, I think Mike Zimmer has tried to establish an open-door policy with his players where if you have an issue, let's come in and talk about it, and we'll have a frank discussion about it, and I'll tell you what I think. You tell me what you think, and, and we'll go from there. Mm-hmm. But I I do think that Adrian has realized that having that relationship that he does with Mike Zimmer can be a good thing for him in terms of getting what he wants. Now there does need to be a little bit of a two-way street, I think, in just saying, hey, we've talked about all the things that we want to see you do. You've said those things are important to you, and this is what we have to do to make that happen. And I think if they explain it to him that way, I think he'll go along with that. I don't think that's a big issue, but... I do think that there will probably have to be that conversation should they want to go that sure. way in week three of the preseason. I will say this, too. It has been very interesting to hear them talk, hear Jarek McKinnon talk about how they're splitting reps in training camp. I guarantee you Adrian Peterson does not think of it as them splitting reps. I think he probably sees Jarek McKinnon as a change of pace. But if if there's any perception whatsoever that – it's going to be a 50-50 split on carries. I can't see that for a second. No, I'd agree with you. I, the, the ways that you use Jarek McKinnon, both as a runner and a receiver, allow you to do different things. I sure. think they'll be on the field at the same time at, at times. I, they played around with that a little bit last year, and they've done it again this year. I like that idea. I do, too. Split them out. Yeah. Jarek McKinnon can split out a little bit. There's a party on our podcast, and you're invited. Hey, everyone, Anthony Maggio here. Join me, Bo Mitchell, and John Tuvey every Thursday through week 16 of the NFL season for 1500 ESPN's Fantasy Football Party Podcast. Whether you're an office league novice or swimming with the DFS Sharks, we've got all the analysis and mostly dated cultural references you need to make you a winner. Find us on Podcast One, 1500ESPN.com, or subscribe on iTunes today. Uh, what What is your sense about the potential for McKinnon being your third down back, given the fact that he does admit uh, in college he did no pass protection yeah. and and I mean that's the one thing if, if you're gonna if you're going to go to Peterson and say on third down you're not going to play that much, then you pretty much have to say but the guy who's going to replace you on third down is a good blocker. What's your sense at where? McKinnon is at in in that potential role because that's the one area yeah. where I see you could definitely pull back on Peterson, yeah. But you also can't have McKinnon being out there getting blown by or getting steamrolled by guys. Yeah, and I think McKinnon, I think has done a decent job with it. I mean, he certainly has some development to do there, but he's a bigger guy than people realize. I mean, he he's he's two hundred six pounds. He's a short little guy, but he's pretty strong. I mean, he he put up I think thirty two reps at 225 pounds in the bench press at the combine. That's twice as many as Anthony Barr put up that year. So a lot of his kind of freakish workout numbers were a lot of the reason the Vikings were interested in him in the first place. So he's not a guy that's afraid of contact. I think where the third down situation becomes a bit of a question is 
How often are you going to have him on third down in the backfield as opposed to moving around the formation and doing something else? Sure. There's going to be opportunities for him to do that. And then you almost wonder, is it him and Adrian Peterson on the field? Is it him and Matt Asiata on the field? Matt Asiata is probably their best pass-protecting running back of the three of those guys. Mm-hmm. He's going to be on this team for that reason, you know, in addition to some of the other things that he does. But you wonder if that will become a situation where if they want to move McKinnon around that – Asiata sees some third down snaps as well if they don't feel like Adrian Peterson's ready to do more of that. And, and that, to me, is, is one of the reasons that you do try to put him in a preseason game just to see where he's at with some of those sure. things and, and see where we go from there. So, I mean, that, that certainly is going to be an issue worth watching. The other one that I think we are both interested in seeing here in these first couple of preseason games is how things play out with the offensive line. They went in talking about having all this competition, having all this depth, that eroded pretty quickly with Phil Lodeholt's retirement. You have Mike Harris with this sort of issue, this illness that they aren't really telling us much about, but it seems like it might be kind of serious. seems like he might not play for a little while. You've got John Sullivan coming back from an injury. You've got now Brandon Fusco dealing with a couple nicks and injuries and that kind of thing. Which and leaves Berger without a position because right. is he your center or is he your right guard? Exactly. So the depth isn't what they hoped they would have. Yep. As we go into the first couple preseason games here, Judd, what do you want to see from the offensive line to make you feel like this thing is not going to be yeah. an issue for the second, maybe third, maybe fourth year in a row? I want to see Fuss go back. Yeah. See, to me, because the one th- we thought going into training camp or a week and a half before camp started that you were going to have competition at center, right guard, and right tackle. Yes. The right tackle competition's over. Yep. The right guard competition might be – it's either over or very depleted if Fusco's hurt. In either case, and misses it's over, time. right? I mean, it's that's either over. Fusco or Berger, So probably. that's over. And so your one place that, that you had a competition left was center. So I guess what I want to see is, uh, is Fusco back and continuity there. Yeah. Because one thing that I think the Vikings talked about quite a bit was the fact that they have to get these guys on the field together and get continuity, which we have not seen yet. Uh, I also I also want to see big picture. Eventually, is the left tackle and Khalil helped by the presence of Boone at, at left guard? Yes. I, I think, Ben, there was an expectation last year because Fusco had been a good right guard that he could move to left guard and have a positive effect, which Charlie Johnson, by the way, did not. On Khalil, <laughs> yeah. well, then poor Fusco was a mess at left guard. So now he's back at, at right guard. So I would say early on in, in the preseason, if you were hoping to start to have some answers to the questions on this offensive line, you haven't gotten them right now. And I'm not sounding the alarm, but I'm also not secure in, in what we're seeing. And this includes every position probably but left guard. Yeah. With Boone. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think the fact that you have seen TJ Clemmings basically working as your swing tackle is something that in an ideal world probably wouldn't have happened. I mean, in a, in a perfect world, you have a couple more guys there that, that can play a few. I mean, Mike Harris is probably the guy that is able to bounce around to a few different spots in a pinch. Certainly right guard and right tackle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely those two and maybe even left guard as well. Sure. But now you have a situation where you have T.J. Clemmings, you have Willie Beavers getting some work at both positions on the right side. You're not as... I don't feel real secure with what you just said, though. 
I mean, you, this doesn't make me feel good no, if I'm the Vikings. No, and that's my point is that yeah. you're now in a position where all of this depth and all of this work that you did to accumulate that depth has not maybe hasn't completely gone away, depending on where Mike Harris is. But pretty close, it's Ben. Pretty close to the your right tackle retired. Moment. Yeah, your right guard. I, I mean, I don't mean to um, speculate here in a reckless way, but with Mike Harris. When a team says a guy was diagnosed with something in June and we can't tell you what's wrong yeah. and we don't know when he's going to play, and then he says, I don't know, that's not a hamstring strain. No, it's not. So not not to make make light of it, but it's also something where if he were to miss the season, you're not going to be shocked by it. No, not at all. That's the concern. The, the thing with him, that I and I think I said this, I think we talked about it a little bit last week, but when we went and asked Mike Harris what was going on, he starts off by talking about, I want to thank all the trainers and everybody that's been taking care of me and my teammates for being supportive. Sure. And I, you know, I look around, and within a couple minutes of that interview, there were probably three or four PR guys flanking it. And I mean, it was almost like being in a um, some kind of authoritarian state where <laughs> it's like, wow, there's a lot of security and guards they all are here awfully quickly. And they're all going to report back to coaches and trainers. Yeah, exactly. See what so it was interesting to see that and, and as I'm watching this play out I'm you know I'm looking around and seeing this out of the corner of my eye thinking this is not a, whatever this is this is not a minor thing mm-hmm. so the idea to me of Mike Harris missing part of the season a good chunk of the season or all of the season is certainly not beyond the pale whatsoever it certainly almost seems more likely that that happens at this point than Oh, he's cleared to play. He'll be back in a week, and he'll be ready to play the last two preseason games. I, sure. I don't think that that's where we're headed with him. And that, to me, is an underrated loss because of the versatility that that guy brings to your group. Did a nice job at right guard last year, by all accounts, and, and filled in for Phil Lodeholt at right tackle the year before that. He's a guy that you want to have on your line because of all the things that he can do. That's why he was such a valuable guy to bring back. And now not having him, that does leave you a little bit worried. Center competition. Um, I, I read something a couple of days ago that said that uh, Sullivan was actually, in some people's minds, being beaten out for that job. Now, my main concern there is he's 31 now. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. He's coming off two back surgeries. Yes. That's not good. Uh, my other thought is if he can't play, you are now really hurt because it's not that Berger's a bad center, but now your depth there is pretty much gone. Yeah, and in Berger's 34 in his own right. I yeah, mean, well, and he's Berger's been around here forever, by yeah. the way. He was signed here. I think I think he signed with, with the Vikings out of from the Dol- the Dolphins, let him go, yeah. when I was on the beat. Yeah, it was so like Joe, 09, Ber- Joe Berger's no newcomer no, here. No, He just didn't play much for a long time. No, he was – He. I think – you know, I looked it up the other day. I think in the last two years he started almost as many games as he had in his entire career prior to that. Yeah, because he played center, I think, for a year for the Dolphins, and it yeah. didn't go well. Yeah, and then he about it. came here and didn't play, basically, yeah. for a long time. That one year with the Dolphins, I think, was the only one where he was a consistent starter. And then he comes in, fills in at right guard in 2014, and then obviously starts at center all of last year. So it's been kind of a, an interesting career trajectory for, for Joe Berger. But the my observation of it in training camp has been that there have been days where he certainly looks every bit as good, if not better, than John Sullivan. And I think the the thing that you see it with is when they're doing one-on-one drills against Linval Joseph, who has the potential and the ability to make a lot of people look bad. Joe Berger, 
obviously is a stronger guy than John Sullivan, so maybe it's a bad comparison. Maybe you know the number of times where you'd have John Sullivan going one on one with a nose tackle of Linval Joseph's stature probably is not that many. Right. And John Sullivan does a lot of other things that you like better than Joe Berger does. Certainly his mobility, probably his sense of, of what to do on the line and, and where to set blocks and, and where to arrange protections, that sort of thing. Yep. Probably he's better there than Joe Berger. But to watch Joe Berger handle Linval Joseph was interesting in the sense that there was a clear advantage for him probably both because of his strength and just because of his health at this point over where John Sullivan was. So that that to me is why you wonder where this is going to go. And, and Mike Zimmer has said that, that there's basically you have two centers that have sort of these two different skill sets. Mm-hmm. Berger's not – I mean, we, we talk so much about how smart Sullivan is, and that's true. Berger is not a uh, – uh, an ignoramus either i mean sure. he, the guy went to michigan tech he, he was going to be an engineer Berger's a very smart guy in his own right but i think the vikings feel like sullivan's ability to kind of be a calming presence on that line and to see things almost as a quarterback does is a nice thing to have maybe teddy bridgewater doesn't need as much of that as he did as a rookie but they like that part of his game he's certainly a better pulling blocker than Joe Berger would be. Certainly Mm -hmm. the mobility he has when he's healthy is something that you like. But Joe Berger probably is a little stronger, probably a little more ability to – has a little more ability to anchor at the point of attack. Sure. It almost seems like it's these two different skill sets, and it's going to be very interesting to see where they decide to go there in the end. I I went into the season thinking if John Sullivan's healthy, he's the guy, and I no longer think that that is as certain as it once was. But if he's not the guy, does he make the roster at that salary? That is That's a lot to keep. Too. Because Berger is, first of all, much cheaper. Second of all, he can play center in both guard spots. Yes. Sullivan plays center. I, I don't think he can play the guard spots at this point, and he makes a lot. So i got to think for Sullivan it's either you make the roster or you're probably – or you start or you don't make the roster. Yeah, that's a very real possibility of that, especially because they have a couple of younger guys in Zach Karen and Nick Easton that they like. I mean, not that either of those guys is Easton ready to... Easton is the guy they got from the 49ers? Easton's is the guy they got from the... Gerald Hodges, okay. yes. They, they like both of those guys, especially Zach Karen. I think. I mean, they, they could get to a point where that guy is the center of the future. I wouldn't be surprised at all if that's what they're thinking. Mm-hmm. Are you ready to go that way if something were to happen to Joe Berger? I mean, that's a roll of the dice. We we saw the Packers get away with this last year, I think it was, or maybe even two years ago now, when, when they had to put Corey Lindsley in there with basically no experience, and it became, oh, this guy's our center for the next 10 years. Great. It's nice when that happens. I don't know that you can count on that. So right. that would be the reason I wonder if Sullivan is still on the roster because the guy that would be in front of him is certainly not 27, 28 years old. But you raise a good point with the with the money. I mean, he has no guaranteed money left in that deal this year, and you do wonder if they are going to, say, keep eight or nine linemen. You figure Beavers is on the roster. You figure Clemmings is probably on the roster. Yes, definitely. And that leaves probably one more backup spot. Do you give it to Sullivan, or do you give it to a guy that can play a couple different positions? If Sullivan's not the starter. And the we'll other see. dynamic, too, though, is is you'd be plugging in. So, so let's say that center doesn't work out perfect. Would you be willing to take the chance of having to plug in an inexperienced player there with Bridgewater? Yeah. It's one thing to give Brady or Rodgers a center, and they can piecemeal the guy and sort of teach him a little bit on the go. You know, that the interesting dynamic for this this team this year for the Vikings is this. There's really high expectations, Mm -hmm. 
and yet you don't have a quarterback you entirely trust yet. Yep. So if Easton has to play center, for instance, do you want to do that to Bridgewater? It's a yeah. it's it's really dicey. Yeah, and that's ultimately why I think Sullivan is on the roster, whether he's starting or not. Interesting. Okay. The other thing, and we see it here, when a guy goes down like Brandon Fusco, what is their first move? Okay, Joe Berger. You're at that position now. Yes. You're at that other interior position, and John Sullivan's our center. Would, you don't have that luxury anymore if you need Berger to start. And center. I think Sullivan starts because of that. That could. That's I think they very trust. Him, I think they trust him enough, and Berger is ideally a backup. Yeah, I mean it, Berger's versatility yes. at a number of different positions is a really, it helps him really valuable and hurts commodity. Him. Yes, because I my first inclination, if I did the depth chart, would be to say, how can I get this guy to be a backup? Because I know he's going to play. Yeah. If I start him at center, and now I got to bring Sullivan off the bench, and he hasn't played, and now I got to plug Berger in in at right guard, it seems to be easier to me just to leave the potential um, possibility where Berger can play either guard or center, and I plug him in. Yeah, I, I would know. tend to agree with that in the end. It seems silly. It sounds weird, but to me, it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where the things that you can do sometimes, and we all have these things in our jobs where it's don't get good at the things you don't really necessarily want to do, the things you don't like to do. Mm-hmm. Sometimes those things hurt like you. Like podcasts, producing and things like that? Yeah, absolutely. And when you that become, might be a bad idea. When you become versatile. I shouldn't run this board. When you're Tell a, Mackie. When you're a, a, a newspaper dinosaur, an ink, a former <laughs> ink-stained wretch, and they've got you running a production board, uh, maybe that won't work out so well. We'll have to see. Be a really good producer someday. If, if this... Uh, this podcast goes up in flames. That's why, folks. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you do wonder that with Joe Berger, that the versatility may be, like you say, what makes him not starting in the end. How close of an eye do you think that, uh, that the head coach will have on uh, Trey Waynes throughout not just camp, but he's obviously going to get a chance to start yes. against the Bengals? Uh, I would imagine that this one is going to be of uh, maximum interest to a guy who prides himself as the cornerback whisperer in Mike Zimmer. Yeah, I would say that it is, and I think based on what they've done with him in training camp already, I'd, I'd say there's going to be a very keen interest in what Trey Waynes does because they have continued to go through that crash course with him of, okay, here are the things that you need to work on, and here's what you're doing well. Mike Zimmer does this with his young corners. We've seen him do it with Xavier Rose. We've seen him do it with Trey Waynes. We're seeing a little bit of it with Mackenzie Alexander now. He wants those guys to be – Letter perfect in all of the fundamentals of his defense, from footwork to hand placement to the way you turn, your leverage, your split on a defensive back, your split on a wide receiver when you are a defensive back. Mm-hmm. All of those things are obviously in any NFL system things that you need to know. Mike Zimmer wants his corners to know that like their phone number before they get on the field. He does not want corners out there that he has to worry about. And they've had the luxury now with Terrence Newman of saying, we can bring you along at your own pace because we don't have to push you onto the field. Terrence Newman's 38 years old. Trey Waynes was the 11th pick in the draft last year. Yeah. Eventually. I see where you're going, and I agree completely. I think they're very comfortable with yeah. Terrence being banged up right now. Yes. It, at some point, you need an excuse to put Trey Waynes on the field in a low-leverage situation. This is a perfect time to do it. If he comes out there and shows that he can handle a big chunk of that job, mm-hmm. it's it. I don't know that it's his to take because I think Terrence Newman has as much equity with Mike Zimmer as any player you'll find. But I would not be surprised at all if he is 
in that job sooner than later if he shows he can handle it. Is Newman, if he gets replaced here, going to be upset, or is he at the stage of, of his career where he's so close with Zimmer that it's almost sort of going to be this easy transition and, and Terrence becomes the sounding board for Trey Waynes? What's your guess on that? My guess is that it would be more of the latter. I mean, I think Terrence Newman is a guy that I don't, I don't know that he wants to sit around and, and just ride the bench. I, he doesn't strike me as a guy that is going to prolong his career for the sake of just being around football. I think he's got other interests. I think he's a guy that when he walks away from it, will walk away from it. You, you, you're not going to see him necessarily being a coach or doing TV. I mean, he certainly could do those things, but I don't know that he's a guy that, that loves the I, I've got to be around it so much that he has to become a lifer that way. Sure. So. I, you know, you wonder about it a little bit from that perspective, but I think while he's around, he's going to be happy to share his knowledge, and I think he's got enough respect for Mike Zimmer, and he's done enough of that already with players that I, I would expect that he'd continue to do that. I, I don't think he's going to sit there and, and have any animosity towards Trey Waynes if Trey Waynes does take that job. What do you think is the best guess about where uh, Trey Waynes is right now as far as progress? Because the one interesting thing about, about cornerbacks with Zimmer is he's so demanding of yeah. them. And, I mean, that's the one position where where it would be great to play for him because he'd make you good, but it would be hell to play for him because it he watches you like a hawk. Do you think Waynes has made substantial strides? Because I do get I get the impression that Zimmer will sort of compliment guys a little bit here and there. Yeah. But he's never he never really going to say, oh, yeah, you know what? It's been fantastic. He's been – do you think he's, he's made the progressions that the Vikings w- want to see? Because there is a sense – with where Waynes was drafted, yeah. that, oh, boy, something's wrong here, which I don't agree with. But where do you think he is at in these strides that these guys thought he might make when they took him in 2015? Well, Mike Zimmer has been pretty clear with us on that. He's, he's basically said he's getting better at a lot of the things he needs to do. He's getting better at knowing how close he has to be to his guy. But he needs to get better at the top of the route, being able to deny his guy the ball. Mike Zimmer's biggest commandment for his defensive backs is not turnovers. It is don't let your guy catch the ball. That is the thing you will hear him say about his corners over and over. Which is why Rhodes was grabbing guys right and left. Yes. I mean, well. I mean, he wasn't supposed to, but I'm just saying. In his mind, he's thinking, I can't let this guy catch the ball. Yes. You you don't want your guy to catch the ball. Ideally, you do that legally. Yeah. And there's certainly, we're working with Xavier Rhodes. and, uh, And that got a lot better the second half of last season. All of his penalties were pretty much an issue in the first half, and you saw a lot after of that the go away. Gloves. After the boxing gloves went on, when Jerry Gray put those on, he certainly got a lot better. Mike Zimmer wants corners that can deny the ball, not corners that become ball hawks that trade big plays for interceptions the other way. Mm-hmm. He wants guys that can be shutdown type guys that he can leave out there and not worry about. Trey Waynes is still working on that part of it, and that's what I think will be so interesting to watch, particularly when he's matched up against a guy like A.J. Green because he's going to get tested. And it is going to be very interesting to see where his progress is at. Being able to make plays at the top of the route, being able to get his hands in there, take the ball away, be able to break things up, or just put himself in a position where his guy is not a factor. I mean, that that is going to be the thing to watch with Trey Waynes over the course of the preseason here. And and I, it's probably a good thing that the quarterbacks you're playing include Andy Dalton, who's a, a proven NFL starter, has some weapons, mm-hmm. Russell Wilson, Phillip Rivers. You have guys that will test you 
especially in week three of the preseason with Phillip Rivers. Which means Trey Wayne should basically start in the preseason. I would say that's probably true because that's going to be the best chance you get to give him some work. I'd say throw him out there and see where you're at. He's an interesting case, too, because you see the potential there, I, yeah. I think. Yeah. The Seattle was it, when he got in the Seattle playoff game and had the pick. Ben, yeah, was that? What, did Newman get hurt in that game? I forget. Yeah, I, I think he did because yeah, Wayne saw some substantial time there. It, but it's funny because you do see some things, yeah, from him, which, which goes back to, to what I'm talking about. Zimmer demands so much of these guys. I think if most teams had uh, had taken Wayne's where the Vikings did halfway through last year, he's starting. Yeah, but this guy is so demanding. Which is a good thing. Yeah. But he and he knows exactly what he wants, which also in, in that defensive backfield leads me to be very curious about the safety position mm-hmm. opposite Harrison Smith. Yeah. I am really cu- Is Sendejo all of a sudden just seen as, as serviceable enough? You know, when Zimmer had the quotes, I think, at the combine about if we could get a really good safety yes. there, I think all of us said, that would be really cool because mm-hmm. if you could free Harrison Smith up to play, basically play where he wants, move him around. Uh, so I think at that point our interpretation was they're going to go get somebody. Yeah, in free agency. And they tried. Yeah, it was too expensive. But I just I wonder now is Sandejo good enough? Is Griffin going to emerge? That to me is the is of the few positions on defense where you still think to yourself, I'm yeah. not sure that's what the head coach wants. That might be the first one for me. I will say this. I think Michael Griffin is the type of safety they want next to Harrison Smith. He's a smart guy, I'll tell you that. He is. He, you guys had him on the radio a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, and I talked to him quite a bit. Smart cookie. Camp. Yeah. I mean, it, it, all of the the stuff about breeding pit bulls and, and some of the, the hobbies he has off the field. I, I thought it was an incredibly interesting interview. Yes. And I think – But he's he, a thinker. He is. Which, which for a defensive back and a veteran safety is essentially what I want. Right. Right, and I think the fact that he has been a guy that has been comfortable playing deep safety, mm-hmm. not necessarily a yeah. guy that's up in the box. He's had years where he's had six, seven, eight interceptions. He's had years where he's gotten beat a lot, too. That's the question is what does this guy have left because he is the type of player, he has been the type of player that you want back there, a guy that can handle the open side of the field, that can be comfortable as the deep safety, the guy that's the last man in coverage that allows Harrison Smith to move around. Because Harrison Smith does so many different things for you, sure, is Michael Griffin at 31 still capable of playing the way that he did earlier in his career? Can Jerry Gray resurrect that out of him? Mm-hmm. We'll see. But I think Michael Griffin is the the kind of template for the safety that they want next to him. And if he's not starting there, it probably means that he's not capable of living up to that template. Because I think if he does, does he not make the team in? If he, he might start, not. He might not. Because his salary is pretty low, Yeah, it's low, 2. Right? $2.7 million. I okay. think there's a little bit of guarantee in there, but it's probably not prohibitive That's what it was. to cut him. Yeah, the guaranteed wasn't that much. But I think if he's not starting, it's because he wasn't good enough. It's not because, oh, Andrew Sandejo has suddenly become this, <laughs> this reborn right. guy that we now think is great. Last thing, sir. Kickoffs in the National Football League. Yes. Uh, ESPN.com, our buddy Seifert had a story about this. Essentially, and and his story reflects what I think a lot of us thought. When they decided for this season to move uh, touchbacks out to the 25-yard line, Mm -hmm. I think a a lot of us said, hold on a second. That's going to encourage teams to try and have guys return the ball. Yes. The league, I think, was thinking, oh, now now we'll just have a bunch of deep kickoffs and touchbacks. 
Uh, Seifert talked to a lot, a lot of people around the league, including some with the Vikings, who said the league's not going to get what they want. The league's going to get a lot of short mortar squib kicks and returns. Where do you see this going? And are we to the point where the league should either say, you know what, forget it. It's going to the 20 and we'll have some touchbacks or should they just scrap the thing? Because it seems like, Ben, they really want to scrap it. Yeah, but they it keep, does. But they keep pushing it further and further and further to try and change the rule where I think a lot of us now have said, if you don't want them, just don't have them. And or let's just go back to it being football. The ball goes to the 20 and if guys return it, that's fine. Yeah, I agree with you that it's not going to be what they want. I talked to Mike Prefer about this in the offseason. He said two things. Number one, when you have the best kick returner in the league, five yards is not going to dissuade you from bringing the ball out. Cordero Patterson has had a green light for two years, for, well, for three years, I guess, at bringing the ball out from seven, eight yard, seven or eight yards deep in the end zone. They're going to continue to do that because – He's the type of returner that can turn those things into big plays or touchdowns, or he becomes a guy that you kick short because you're afraid of him, and then you get good field position from that. So that's going to be how they handle it on that side of the ball. The other thing Mike Prefer said last week about kickoffs is that we tend to kick higher than most teams in the league. We're not going to sit there and boom it through the end zone and let people bring it out to the 25. We kick it off a little bit higher. That's been our philosophy. We have a guy that can do that. We have a guy that can put hang time on it, and then let's go cover he certainly has done that with punts, and I think he's going to do that with kickoffs too. Yeah, because they're—I mean, their coverage teams have been really, really good mm-hmm. at limiting people field position-wise. Certainly on punts and on kickoffs as well. And some of the athletes that they have in here now that they've drafted, and, and some of the guys they've added, some of the linebackers that they've added that can also play special teams. You're going to have pretty athletic coverage units, I would think. I don't see them as being a team that's going to sit there and say, oh, well, we've got to kick it through the end zone because the NFL wants us to be safer. Mike Prefer is the first guy to tell you this play is not as dangerous as the NFL wants you to think. Now that the wedges are gone, now that you're coaching it better, when I talked to him, he said, "That's a, he's you right. can do this. This play does not he's need right. to be eliminated from the NFL yep. because of this perception that it's the sole reason you have concussion issues. It is nothing more than the NFL trying to make the concussion people happy. And the concussion people have convinced themselves that the kickoff is the devil. And the other thing about the kickoff that's changed, Ben, is this. It used to be dangerous because the wedges. Yes. And think about how big those guys were. Mm -hmm. Linemen, right? Yep. Now look at it. It's athletic guys. Yeah. I mean, it's it's morphed. The Vikings protectors for Cordero Patterson are people like Matt Asiata. They're not linemen anymore. Yeah, it's not your backup offensive linemen. Yeah, they're guys that can run. Do you think there's any chance with it going out to the 25 now, if we do see more squib kicks, are teams going to try and squib it against the Vikings uh, or directionally kick it to get the up back to take it and then hope to get down and pin the guy at, let's say, the 15 or 17? Yeah, I would so, think. So you keep it away. So if you do that, then you don't get the touchback, but you also could take it out, out of Patterson's hands, which teams did try and do a little bit at least or have done a little bit. Yeah, I think that is the case. I mean, I think you'll see teams try to do that for two reasons. Number one you basically have five more yards now where it's still advantageous to do that as opposed to trying to kick it out of the end zone. Right. You've got another five yards where if you bring the guy down, you've won the play, so to speak. If, if you take him down inside the 25, you now have won that kickoff return. Mm-hmm. And number two, if you keep it out of Cordero Patterson's hands, you avoid the potential for something very bad happening to the, what happens on the scoreboard or exactly possibly happens on the scoreboard unless he gets stripped of the ball by Mason Crosby. 
But Cordero Patterson is the kind of guy that can change the game if that doesn't happen in that situation. So I think you are going to see teams try to do that. I agree with you completely that this is not going to go the way that the NFL wants it to. If, if they want to appease the concussion people, just get rid of the play. Well, Otherwise, let's just go play. And what's driving me nuts, too, though, is if they get rid of the play, then you know what? They're going to have to come back with something else where, oh, we have to get rid of that or change that. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, the sport is the sport. It's a violent it's an sport. Vi- and, and, and in 50 years, for all we know, it might be gone. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is a sport where – the youth statistics are going down, the amount of kids playing it, and I'm not surprised by that, and that's fine. And I say do all you can to protect youth and high school kids. Mm-hmm. Protect them. But the reality is we're talking about a league that makes billions of dollars, that pays millions of dollars, yes. played by adults. Yes. So for the time being, you're not going to legislate football out of football enough to make people happy. People will vote eventually if it disappears. Yeah. But I just see this as being, okay, you know, let's say 2018, the kickoff is gone. Well, then what's next? Then we're going to go after something else, and then we're going to go after something else. And the nature of the sport is it's a brutal sport. And if you choose to play it, you know, especially if you're an adult coming out of college, you know the consequences of playing that sport. And eventually, if people don't play it, then it's just going to be gone, and and the vote will be final, which is we'll go watch something else. And it's certainly in this day and age when there's as much information out there as there is now about concussion data and CTE, if you're playing this sport, you are not doing so blindly. You know exactly what you're getting into. 100%. And especially if you're playing it as an adult, and I, I would take that to college as well, or certainly at least major college. Division one college. A scholarship. Is a bi- and it's a business. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a, you know, a cute little sport. Yeah, you come Division three college is fine, into. but... Yes, exactly. you know exactly what you're dealing yep. with, and you're and if you're going to a Division One college, you are doing so with the idea that this could potentially be my career. Mm-hmm. If you are a scholarship athlete at a Division One college, mm-hmm. I would submit that most of you are at least going in with the idea. It's not going to happen for everybody, but you're going in with the idea that I might end up in the NFL. This might be a way that I can make a lot of money in four years. Yep. If you're doing that. You know what you're getting into, and you are liable for your own health. If you play at a school which has a network that features its football games, yep. you're playing a pro sport. Yep, yep. And if you think you're not, you're kidding yourself. Yep. If you play at the Big Ten and every one of your games is on some platform of national TV, yep. that's not an amateur SEC sport. SEC Network, ACC exactly. Network. Exactly. So take us out, sir. We're done. We will uh, We'll be back next week after the Vikings' first preseason game. We'll be uh, breaking down what happens before their second preseason game as they match up once again with the Seattle Seahawks reprising that uh, playoff game. Obviously, a little warmer, not as nearly as uh, high consequence of a game, but we will see who's going to be Seahawks. All right, next week, who's going to be the first reporter to ask Bridgewater or Zimmer? I know it's not the same, but... Can you feel like this is gonna? Do you feel like this is gonna put it behind you a little bit? You know that question's coming, and when it does, we will be here to discuss the ridiculousness of that question. Until then, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. card from Capital One gives you more of what you love, like premium travel benefits and access to Taylor Swift tickets. Oh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and ten times miles on hotels through Capital One Travel. Enjoy your stay in Suite 13. Whoa, 13? That's Taylor's lucky number. Plus, get access to Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, presented by Capital One. Maybe I'll see you there. The Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details.